Good morning. Good to see you this morning. I lived in a magical city called Berlin during my 20s. And those city streets are lined with beautiful five-story Baroque buildings. And there are hardly any insects there. And no one has air conditioning. And so everyone's windows are open half the year. And if you were walking home late one night, maybe after an evening with some friends or spending some time uh, with some students, the back streets would be mostly quiet as you walk through, free of traffic, both pedestrian and auto. And sometimes you would be walking in relative silence, but then all of a sudden you would come upon the happy clamor of a dinner party, pouring out of a window two or three stories up, the clanking of dishes, forks on plates, bottles on tables, the rumble of voices talking over music, and the occasional burst of laughter. And walking in the street, you couldn't help but look up and wonder, What's going on in there? Our story today is about the sound of dinner parties, of music and dancing. Jesus is actually in the middle of a long discourse. He's teaching the people about hospitality, and he's telling them parables about what kinds of people will eat in the feast of the kingdom. And it's in the middle of this that some Pharisees and teachers of the law, they mutter and complain. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. These pious religious leaders had been walking the streets and hearing the clanking of dishes and the happy clamor of voices talking loudly over music, they had stopped and inquired. What's going on in there? And the answer that they received was troubling them. A teacher of the law, a devout religious leader, quite like themselves, was eating and drinking with people of low reputation. The kind of people you would not want to live next door to. The kind of people you might not want your children around. We might think about the man who owns the strip club or the medical doctor who built her practice writing opioid prescriptions for any drug-addicted person willing to pay for a visit. These aren't the kinds of people we ask to teach Sunday school. And even if they were to change their ways, you might still be hesitant to invite them over to your Christmas party because they are people with a reputation. And so are you. And so the Pharisees are muttering and complaining about Jesus. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And this is almost a completely true statement. They might have only added the word repentant. 
This man welcomes repentant sinners and eats with them. You see, Jesus wasn't actually a soft on sin, if it feels good, do it type of preacher. He actually came preaching repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Or like we read last week, repent or perish. He was inviting people to turn from their self-seeking and ultimately self-destructive ways and to turn back, to turn to God's good and beautiful plan for their flourishing. It only turns out that many of the folks who were responding to his message were people from the margins, the physically disabled, the poorest of the poor, and those whose vocation and sin were considered so immorally egregious that they found themselves excluded from polite society. And thus, repentance resulted in some major partying. So much partying that people were saying, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And the Pharisees, they just don't get it. And so Jesus has to tell them three stories. The first two weren't read in our gospel. They were omitted for the sake of time, but we will refresh them quickly. Story one, a wealthy shepherd has 100 sheep and loses one. He leaves the 99 to find the one. And when he finds the one, he puts it on his shoulder, rejoicing as he walks home. And when he arrives home, he says to his friends, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And Jesus says, I tell you the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Story number two, a poor woman, probably a widow, has a total of 10 silver coins in her life savings and she loses one. And so she lights a lamp in her dark home and she goes searching all over and finally she finds the coin. And when she does, she rejoices and she calls all of her friends together in the neighborhood and she says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And this is the kind of joy we are talking about this morning. Jesus says in the same way, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repeats. Story number one, there is one out of a hundred that is lost, still very valuable, still great joy in finding it. Story number two, there is one out of 10 that is lost, even more valuable, even more joy in finding it. Story number three, one out of two is lost, still even more valuable and even more joy should ensue. Let's look at story number three. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons and the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got all together that he had and set off for a distant country 
and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Now, this would normally happen after a father dies, that you would divide up the estate. And under Jewish law, they would have divided it in three portions. The older would have received the double portion, so uh, two-thirds, and then the younger son would have got his third. Just so that we're clear, the father doesn't have a bunch of funds in his 401k that he can easily call his broker and say, I want you to liquefy a third of, of my uh, 401k, okay, and, and put it in my brokerage account. No, these are agrarian people. These are landowners. These are farmers. The brothers would have been in business with their father. And so the youngest brother is saying, I don't want to be in business with either of you anymore. I am, I am asking you to break up the family business so that I can cash out. You see, his decision isn't an isolated one. It's one that has percussions for the entire life of the family. And so also the son would have been bringing great shame upon his father by making him to do such a thing to the family business. But you know what he was really saying to the father is something like this. I don't really want to live as your son anymore. I want to be free from familial obligations. I reject the good life that you have given me. And I don't want to stick around to help my brother. In America, we want to be free of all familial obligations that aren't of our own choosing. And the younger brother is just the same. Only for him, he chooses for himself zero family obligations. He takes the money and he leaves town. He goes off for the big city. He goes out west to find himself. He thinks to himself, let me get out of this small town with all of these small-minded people. If this were a Disney film, the younger brother is Moana, or Miguel and Coco, held back by the constraints of family, religious tradition, and societal norms. The younger brother must break free and discover who he truly is. He's got to follow his own feelings, his only true north. And out on his way out of town, he is humming Elsa's song from Frozen. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small, and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. And off he went. And in some far away country, probably some Gentile territory where you couldn't find a decent synagogue, where no one was worried about what kind of food you ate or who you were sleeping with, he squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need and so he went and hired himself out 
to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And now he has sunken to the lowest of the low from the Jewish perspective. One of the least honorable jobs you might imagine. And he longed to fill his stomach with the carob pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You see, the God of Israel had commanded his people to love the poor and to give alms to the poor and to help them, but the Greeks and the Romans didn't have such rules, and generosity towards the poor wasn't really a value in their culture. And one day, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, in this culture, a slave or a servant actually belonged to the household. They lived in the house with the owner, and they lived under the benevolence of that owner. The owner was obligated to care for their well-being. But the hired servant, also known as a day laborer, isn't in the house. The day laborer just shows up to work for a day, gets paid very little, but is otherwise on their own. And what the younger brother is saying is that even those, the lowest of the low of the servants, the day laborer that has no obligations, uh, that my father has no obligations to, is still living better than how I am living here. So I will go back and be like a hired day laborer. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, says to me he was looking, and he was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him, and the son said what he rehearsed, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son but the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the text says, and so they began to celebrate. This is story three. It has more details than story one and story two, but up to this point, it follows a familiar pattern. Something of great value is lost and is then found. And this finding is cause for great celebration. And Jesus is reminding the Pharisees what God is like and what his heart is like to those who have chosen a path of sin and self-destruction. 
God is like a shepherd who goes looking for sheep. God is a woman who goes looking for a coin. God is a father who grieves the loss of his son. His heart breaks from the rejection and longs for restoration. He sits down at every family meal and he recognizes that there is someone who is missing from the table. There is an empty chair where his youngest son used to sit. And he looks out and he sees his son returning home. And the thought, but what will the neighbors think, never pops into his mind. He's not thinking at all, what should he do to repay me? No, God is not that kind of father. He's the kind of father who throws the biggest party the neighborhood has ever seen. He kills the fattened calf. He maxes out the credit cards. He hires a Motown band because there has to be dancing. Somebody in our church told us about a Motown cover band that played at the wedding. Ever since then, I think about that almost every day. I've always wanted one of those. Maybe for next year at Easter. This is what God is like. This is why the Son of Man came eating and drinking and welcoming sinners into his home, firing up the grill and uncorking every bottle in the cellar that they could get their hands on. But unlike story one and unlike story two, story three does not end here. You see, it is a story about celebration, but not only celebration. It's also a story about how some people respond to the celebration. The story goes on. Meanwhile, the older son was in a field. And when he comes near to the house, he hears the clanking of dishes, forks on plates, bottles on tables, the rumble of voices talking over music, and the occasional burst of laughter. And he hears music and dancing. And he calls one of the servants and asks him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he says, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry. And he refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, You kill the fatted calf. My son, says the father, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and we had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found 
this story helps us to see that there are two ways that we can sin against God. The most intuitive way, way number one, is disobedience. In squandering what we have been given, failing to be faithful to our Father who loves us. But then there is way number two. Way number two is obedience for the wrong reasons. Slaving to win God's approval. Serving the Father so that the Father will bless me. Thinking that we can earn God's favor by doing the right things. Neither the younger brother nor the older brother value their relationship with the father. For the, for the father, it's all about presence. He rejoices that the brother has come home. He says to the older brother, you have always been with me. The older brother refers to himself as a slave. His relationship with the father is transactional. I do work, and therefore, I deserve such and such. But for the father, the relationship is familial. It's personal. You are my son, and all I have is yours. You see, friends, there are two ways to be lost. You can be lost wandering in the world, and you can be lost sitting here in church with your heart far from the Father. How can the love of the Father truly penetrate your heart if you think love is something you can earn or deserve? You see, we can't earn sonship or daughtership we are granted it by grace when the Father adopted us. Out of love and for love, he created us in his own image. And when we had gone astray and wandered, he sent his one and only son, like a shepherd looking for sheep, like a woman looking for a coin. The son came to seek and to save that which was lost he came looking for us. He was willing to pay the highest price that we might return. <clears throat> and on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The beloved and faithful son became like an abandoned son so that you and I might be received as sons and daughters of God reconciled to the Father through the obedience of the Son. And if you're here this morning and you're more of the younger brother type, maybe you're on the path of self-discovery, you're determined to blaze your own trail regardless of how it might affect those around you, I hope you leave here today with an almost dangerous sense that no matter how hard you sin and how far you wander, your Father in heaven will still love you and long 
for you to come back. And there is literally nothing that you can do to turn his heart away from you. He loves you and he's looking for you. And when he finds you, there will be rejoicing. But for the rest of us, the question remains. When you hear the clanking of dishes, forks on plates, bottles on tables, the rumble of voices talking over music, and the occasional burst of laughter, singing and dancing. And when you peer in and you see folks gathered around this table, the ones that don't vote like you, the ones that don't look like you or talk like you, when you see the notorious sinners and people with bad reputations, in all kinds of people who live on the margins in a place like Atlanta, how will you respond? Are you coming to the party? Let's take a moment of silence as we reflect on what the Lord might be saying to us in this time.